Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help this morning. Uh, We pray for your help, uh, most especially in uh, seeing the Lord Jesus. And we pray for your help in seeing the world around us as he sees it. And we pray that we would learn how to do that better this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you sit down, please, to uh, be turning back to that passage in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through to 38. That's page 974 in the Church Bibles, page 974. Also, among the papers you were given on the the way in, there's a a handout which you can use to uh, make notes or to follow along. And many of us here this morning will, will know, I think, the uncomfortable experience of going into a work situation uh, where we just find ourselves completely overwhelmed by the amount of work that faces us. Uh, going in and feeling overwhelmed by what's expected of us, perhaps, or particular demands that particular people have placed upon us. I imagine that, that feeling of being overwhelmed is probably particularly acute for us uh, for those of us here this morning who, who are or have been involved in the medical professions, so you, you will go into a work situation and perhaps find um, all the waiting lists out of control, maybe the waiting room packed beyond capacity, people out in the corridors, whatever. And what makes that feeling of being overwhelmed so intense to you is that um, all these people really do need help and may, may need it urgently too. And it hurts to see them there uh, waiting As you think about the volume of work, you are desperate for assistance. You desperately want to multiply the work that you're able to do, multiply the the love and service that you're able to bring into that situation. Now, what I hope we're going to see this morning is that as followers of Jesus, we are all in a situation like that. And we are in that situation every single day. If only, if only we would see things the way Jesus sees them. We should, as we face every day, feel overwhelmed. We should feel deeply moved by people around us, desperately needing help. We should be wanting and asking for assistance. We should be wanting to multiply the help that these poor people can be given. Now this week we're starting a new short series, looking mostly at at Matthew chapter 10, but this week we're going to begin a little earlier, the end of chapter 9 of Matthew's Gospel. And the overall aim of this series is for all of us to become what I'm going to call gospel 
multipliers. Now, what is a gospel multiplier? Well, even today, as we look at that pattern in these verses and in this part of Matthew's gospel, the pattern of gospel multiplication, I hope we're going to be picking up exactly what this is. And our aim over these four weeks is that we should deeply feel the need for this gospel multiplication. That we should be encouraged to pray for it. uh, That we should uh, be overcoming all fear of rejection and opposition uh, when it comes to doing it ourselves. And that we would be encouraged in our fear and trust of our Heavenly Father who calls us to do this. And indeed that we should finally get on with it urgently. I think we should be able to work out, even from verse 35 here in our our reading, that the beginnings of this pattern of gospel multiplication, this part of Matthew's gospel. And that's because uh, verse 35 rounds off a large section of the gospel. Let me read it to you again. So chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. If you put a finger there in uh, chapter 9 and turn back with me to chapter 4 and verse 23, uh, you will find an almost identical verse. Chapter 4, verse 23, page 968. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What Matthew is doing is using... Those two verses are little markers to mark out a large section of his gospel, running from there towards the end of chapter 4 to here, the end of chapter 9. A large section which seems to be all about Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And what we find Jesus in that section doing it in two things, he's doing that proclamation in, in two ways, if you like, through word and through deed. We've seen him doing it through word, through his teaching. That was chapters 5 to 7. That's the famous Sermon on the Mount. And then we've been seeing him do it indeed uh, in chapters 8 to 9 through his healing and exorcism ministry. Um, a ministry that uh, shows us a little foretaste, if you like, of resurrection life. As he performs those miracles, we get a little a taste of, of life bursting into a world that's been consumed by death and illness and evil. This preaching of the kingdom is right at the heart of what Jesus came to do. That's what we will have learned. We've studied Matthew's gospel up to this point. There is, in other words, a huge problem that Jesus has come to deal with. There is the problem of sin and death. There's this problem of sin which has split heaven and earth apart, leaving the one opposed to the other. and leaves people on the earth side of that in darkness, struggling under the shadow of death and the and the the dangers of judgment to come. But Jesus has come to announce the kingdom. He has come to announce and make possible a future time when heaven and earth will be reunited. Reunited under the unopposed rule of God. That is, he has come to proclaim the kingdom. It means the forgiveness of sins. And it means also the judgments of God's enemies. The good news, the gospel says, this time is near and this time is pressing. 
So uh, chapter 9, verse 35 brings us to the end of that, that long description of what Jesus has been doing, proclaiming the kingdom. So what, what then, I guess, would we expect to happen next? This has been Jesus proclaiming the kingdom. What happens next? Well, of course, Jesus hasn't been alone as he has been doing all of this. He is, his disciples, his followers, chapter 4, also involved him calling a number of disciples to follow him. And he has already begun to teach them about how to follow in his footsteps, proclaiming the kingdom, bringing light into the world. So at this point in the gospel, I think we can safely expect those disciples to be further drawn in to participate in what Jesus has been doing. First he does it, then we might well expect them to do it. It's their turn to bring the light of the good news of the kingdom into a world struggling under the shadow of death. In other words, we'd expect this to be a transition, setting up what we're going to see in chapter 10, in fact, where Jesus does indeed do just that. He multiplies what he has been doing by sending out the 12 with the good news of the kingdom. That's basically what I mean by gospel multiplication. It's a 12 times over gospel multiplication to begin with in these chapters. And I think we could say that the purpose of this Part of Matthew's gospel is for us too to become gospel multipliers. That is, people who are reproducing and multiplying what Jesus did back then in our setting today. And that's the big aim of this little series, focus uh, mostly on chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, working out how, what that's going to look like in our setting today. And these verses at the end of chapter 9 are introducing all that, drawing us into all of that. And what I hope we're particularly going to see this morning is this, that Jesus wants us to be moved by compassion to become gospel multipliers. And he also wants us to be earnest in prayer for that, and also willing and active to become personally involved. And we're going to look at that in three parts. Uh, So firstly... Jesus says, be moved by compassion to become gospel multipliers. That's emulating Jesus' compassion, verse 36. Secondly, become praying gospel multipliers. Encouraged to pray for Jesus' ministry to be multiplied. That's 37 and 38. And then thirdly, and this is going to be looking ahead really into into the next chapter. uh, Jesus is calling us to become willing and active gospel multipliers. Prepared to go ourselves prepared to do these things ourselves. So that's the plan. And here's number one. Number one, Jesus wants us to be moved by compassion to become gospel multipliers. Verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what have we seen so far? We've seen Jesus himself proclaiming the kingdom in word and deed, speaking and acting to help people struggling under the shadow of death. But it's very interesting, isn't it? As as Matthew takes us into what Jesus is feeling, having done all that amazing work, it's very striking. There's no sense of triumph at the great job that he has done in all those towns and villages of Galilee. I suspect that would be my temptation in that situation, to reflect upon the triumphs there. But no, Jesus' thoughts and feelings are for those, are not on those who have been touched by the kingdom. His thoughts are on those who haven't yet been touched by the kingdom, who haven't yet been 
haven't yet responded to the good news of the kingdom. And Matthew tells us that Jesus looks out on them, he feels compassion. He was, we might say, deeply moved by what he saw, the kind of compassion you could feel in, in your belly. Why was he so deeply moved? Well, because, Matthew tells us again, he saw that the crowd were harassed and helpless. They were troubled, distressed, dejected, without hope, without hope in particular as they face uh, the coming judgment that comes with the kingdom of the heavens. And by telling us this, Matthew is encouraging us really to see people the way Jesus sees them, as they really are. And thereby, as we see them the way he sees them, to feel deeply moved in the same kind of way. And the image Matthew uses to explain what the crowd were really like is there at the end of the verse. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are vulnerable animals, as you may know, and in this picture the shepherds to go them to safety are not there or not doing their job. There's a lack of good shepherding. Uh, we might imagine that the shepherd's somewhere else, you know, in a hut somewhere perhaps, smoking, drinking beer, playing cards. Anyway, they're not where they should be, not doing their job. And the sheep are left in severe danger, perhaps even in danger of death. Now, you may at first have some difficulty empathising with that image, as I did uh, when I was thinking about this. You see, personally, I'd have to say, I'm not especially fond of sheep. It's very odd, isn't it? I mean, children's books, sheep are one thing. They're sort of small and pure white and soft and cuddly and cute. But the reality is really quite different, isn't it? You get close to one of these things. You know, they're large, they're stupid, they're covered in all sorts of things, and they've got... You get really close and they've got very, very strange eyes. You haven't noticed how strange sheep's eyes are really quite weird. So sheep are, are not really things that evoke in me particularly positive feelings or warm feelings. And yet, and yet it's very interesting yet, if you see one in distress, then things can be quite different. We were on a walk in Teesdale last year and we came across a sheep with its horns trapped in a barbed wire fence and it was indeed a, a very pitiful sight. Even I, with all my reservations about sheep, even I could see that something needed to be done in that situation. And there were no farm workers around to call upon. You know, my children were watching. So uh, I really did have to do something. I was moved to do something. So actually, the parallel works surprisingly well when we think about um, applying this to the people who live around us. See, I think generally speaking, generally speaking, our first response to those who live around us will tend not to be compassion. As I know that's certainly true for me. I struggle to feel compassion. I was in a group reflecting on this last week that very often it's compassion is the one thing, the missing ingredient that holds us back from reaching out uh, to those around us with the good news of the kingdom. I react to the people around me in all sorts of different ways. Uh, Some of them might uh, annoy me or repel me. Some of them might make me feel intimidated or envious. 
Most people, I guess, that we pass on the street don't make us feel anything very much at all. Very few that we meet on a daily basis would automatically evoke a feeling of compassion. So I think back to my university friends, for example. And uh, what I think of first, there are people who are, are nice. They're just nice and they're sorted and they're confident. And uh, they don't seem to have any problems and they're mostly pretty happy and their family lives are okay. I think of many of our neighbours even now, they seem like that too. Now, sometimes as we get to know people a little bit better, we, we find that a lot of this is only on the surface. A lot of this confidence is only on the surface. And underneath, it's a different story. But even then, even then, I think we struggle to feel this kind of compassion. So this verse, I think, is very, very helpful. And I found it very helpful indeed in dealing with this issue. Because by including this verse in his gospel, Matthew is showing us he doesn't really expect us to conjure up compassion out of nowhere. You know, by by a kind of force of will. But what he does expect us to do is to reflect upon and see Jesus. We read this verse and it helps us then to see people as Jesus sees them, which is indeed how they really are. In other words, not at all sorted. Underneath that veneer, if there is a veneer, in the heart of their lives, there is no real confidence. There is in particular no real hope in the face of the coming judgment of God. There is only a a kind of emptiness or a a dread or a, a despair. They are, Matthew says, harassed and helpless. They're troubled distressed, dejected. That is what people are really like underneath. We read and reflect on on Matthew's gospel and we we discover Jesus' overall response to that, which was, you know, to come into the world at huge lengths, at huge personal costs. And we reflect upon the tears that he shed for those people and all that he did for those people. And that then can be what will move us. We struggle to be moved without that, but this gives us the answer. I suppose you could sum it up like this. Be moved instead by Jesus being moved. Reflect on him and the compassion will follow. And I think this should radically change perhaps the way we think here as a church on a Sunday and we meet together like this on a Sunday, we, we might think rightly, how wonderful, how wonderful all these people are here. And it's right to give thanks. But especially in a relatively large church, that can distract us, I think. That can distort the picture so that we don't really see the way thing, things the way they really are. And we're distracted from the needs, the huge needs there are outside of here. But start to see things the way Jesus sees them and feel the way Jesus feels. And every gathering, no matter how superficially impressive, will also be tinged by sadness and grief. And we were relatively full building this morning. There's still space. Imagine it was completely packed. So the galleries were packed. All these seats at the front, which are hardly ever filled, they're filled. You know, they're spread out around here as well. 
We might think, wonderful, how wonderful, all these people here. And yet even that, even that should be a meeting tinged by sadness and sorrow. And that's because we would also be thinking about the people who are not here. The thousands of people, even in this parish, who would not be here. We would give, give, rightly giving thanks for those who are, but, the, but I would be thinking, you know, it's sad that my other friends are not here. It's sad that my neighbours are not here. Even it's sad, deeply sad, that people I don't get on with, you know, perhaps people who really don't like me very much, it's sad even that they are not here. It should, of course, change the way we think about uh, as we go out on the streets or in a crowd, as we're just going about our business during the day, perhaps even at the queue at Tesco Express down the road. See as Jesus sees, feel as Jesus feels, and we'll no longer be ignoring the people around us. We will, I think, be stopped in our tracks by them. A friend of mine uh, talks about how he, sometimes he quite deliberately stops on London Bridge, so he lives and works in the city of London, and uh, he stops there to watch the rivers of people, rivers of people streaming into the square mile every morning. There are a million people coming into that space every day, and he does that to, just to remind himself of the sheer volume of need out there. And we could all do something like that, couldn't we? Just stop from time to time. See as Jesus sees. Feel as Jesus feels. Now do that. See as Jesus sees. Feel as Jesus feels. It could and should become overwhelming. You know, people are so lost. They're they're troubled. They're distressed. They're dejected. They're empty. They're without hope. They're lost and helpless under the shadow of death and the coming judgment you know, the feeling may even start to hurt. That would be, that would be right. So that it may even start to hurt, just as it did for Jesus. But it's very interesting, isn't it? As Jesus is having compassion on the, on, on the crowd, it's very interesting. He doesn't just go out and do more of what he has been doing. I mean, he does do that as well. But the first thing we see him doing here is not do that, but actually he turns to his disciples And that's because Jesus' compassion for these vast numbers leads him to want to multiply what he's been doing. In other words, it's not enough just to carry on what he's been doing. He wants to multiply it. So he turns to his disciples. And that's going to lead us to the second thing that Jesus encourages us here. Uh, The disciples becoming involved. And first and foremost, the disciples coming involved through prayer. Number two. Jesus wants us to become praying gospel multipliers. Compassion should come as we look to Jesus. Then humility should come as we admit how difficult and vast the task is. But then should come prayer. Verses 37 and 38. And Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus, in other words, wants us to pray for his ministry to be multiplied. 
The compassionate work that he's been able to show to people struggling under the shadow of death, he wants it multiplied. He wants us to ask the Lord of the harvest to cast out more harvest workers. Now notice first the assumption here that there is a harvest. I mean, that in itself is a striking point, isn't it? Many times, I think, you know, we just simply don't believe this. We tend to think nobody's really interested in this good news of the kingdom. And we might go out and try proclaiming it from time to time, but a few negative experiences lead us to believe nobody is really interested. Nobody really cares. But again, that is not looking at the people around us with Jesus' eyes. Look with Jesus' eyes. And the harvest is vast. Now you can see here that the, the picture has changed. It's changed from a field of sheep into, I suppose you might imagine, vast fields of wheat stretching out to the horizon. Uh, there are places in the, the USA or Western Australia where you can do that. You just, you just stand in a field and you look all the way around to the horizon and there'll be nothing but a huge harvest. So just as we need to stop and to see things through Jesus' eyes to feel compassion, so we need his eyes for seeing the harvest. And the harvest, Jesus says, is plentiful. Jesus isn't any way here, isn't in any way here, uh, saying that there, there's, that there isn't a possibility of rejection and opposition. Uh, in fact, as we go on into chapter 10, we'll find that is the very first thing he addresses you know, the issue of going out and facing uh, first rejection and then opposition and persecution. So he's not at all saying that a harvest is going to be easy and that harvesting is an easy task. Nevertheless, the harvest is plentiful. So think about the crowds again. This time a different way. Think about this as you walk around tomorrow and again see as Jesus sees. And the feeling that should evoke is not, it's not just the compassion and sorrow that we've already talked about, but these verses are now suggesting that should leave us with a feeling of excitement. Excitement of the enormous potential there is. And yet still, of course, not just excitement. The numbers should leave, leave us feeling utterly daunted. Again, overwhelmed. You can imagine standing in one of those vast fields on your own. Uh, perhaps you've got your scythe in your hand ready to do some harvesting. But you're thinking, there's just no way this is going to happen. How is this going to happen? So we look out on the vast harvest field, perhaps overwhelmed. So we pray. It's not the usual word for praying here in this verse. Ask the Lord of the harvest, Jesus says. Ask, um, it's more like plead with the Lord of the harvest. Beg the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. It's that kind of urgency. What are we asking for or pleading or praying for? I hope we've seen already. Basically, we're asking for the the multiplication of Jesus' kingdom ministry, his proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. But I want to be a bit more specific and argue specifically that we're praying for all disciples of Jesus, not just leaders, to be sent out by God into the world to proclaim the coming kingdom 
and thereby reap a harvest. Now, uh, to reach that conclusion, we do need to answer a couple of questions. Who are these workers in uh, verse uh, 37? Who are these workers? Are they leaders? Sometimes uh, these verses are taken that way. And you might think from verse 36, we must be praying for new church leaders of some sort. After all, the problem for the sheep, remember, was a lack of shepherding, a lack of leadership. But we do need to be more careful here. The word is most definitely workers, laborers. It's pretty straightforward. Once true, there was clearly a leadership issue here. It's not, not, a, not an issue solved by these necessarily by, directly by these workers being sent out. It's an issue that's solved by the Lord Jesus himself. Yeah. There are sheep without a shepherd. And uh, in the Old Testament, the Lord promises when that happens, he will become, come and be their shepherd. So in Matthew's gospel, the false leadership or the, the lacking leadership faced by the people is replaced and dealt with by Jesus himself. And it's interesting, we look on into chapter 10. Um, the 12 are sent out in chapter 10, but they're not especially sent out to lead. They're sent out to proclaim. Chapter 10, verse 7, as you go, says Jesus, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. They're sent out as workers. Uh, second question we need to answer. When we pray like this, what precisely are we asking the Lord of the harvest to do with these people? Is it to raise up new workers? Is it to lift a person from one position or status to another? Sometimes we do hear people praying like that. So prayer meetings, so one of the common prayers that you'll hear people praying is, Lord, please raise up workers for the harvest. Uh, but I want to um, suggest to you this morning, if you're in a habit of praying like that, I want you to think again. Look at the verse again. That is not what Jesus says. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out, or literally cast out, workers into his harvest field. Uh, the movement, if you like, is not horizontal, raising someone from one position to another. It's not vertical, raising one, one, one to another, but horizontal, casting out into the world. See, the danger of talking the other way, talking about raising up workers or leaders is for the harvest. It kind of implies, doesn't it, that these are special people, special followers of Jesus, uh, the missionaries, uh, the church leaders, the rest of us then can then sort of sit back and, and, and watch. I love this harvest work, we say. I could sit and watch it all day. But if we pray like this, then it's quite different, isn't it? We pray for workers, workers to be cast out. It becomes clear that this is something, an activity, that all of God's people, all of Jesus' disciples, should in some way be involved in. This is about mobilizing all of God's people to get involved in God's plan to multiply Jesus' ministry in a broken world. That is what we're praying for as we ask God to send out workers into the harvest field. And it's interesting, isn't it? The first thing Jesus asks us to do 
is something that all of and any of us can do at any time. He asks us to pray. It may well be that at a given time in, in, in the history of a church family, the people most closely involved in what the Lord of the Harvest is doing are those who are praying. It's the prayer warriors, as they're sometimes called. I've known some, some great prayer warriors in my time. Some of them um, not able to do very much else through illness, perhaps, or, or, or old age, but nonetheless wonderfully involved in the harvest because they are wonderfully earnest in prayer. If you're a prayer warrior here this morning, be encouraged by these verses and uh, the rest of us. Let's follow their good example. But if we do pray this prayer in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 38, it does imply, doesn't it, that as so far as we're able, we're willing to be an answer to that prayer. That takes us to our third and final point this morning. As we look ahead to Jesus' teaching in, in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, it does seem that Jesus wants us too to become willing and active gospel multipliers. See, that's the pattern here. At the end of Matthew 9 into Matthew 10, Jesus sees the crowd, he feels compassion, he turns to his disciples to get them to pray for workers for the harvest, but it doesn't stop there. Then we get chapter 10, then he sends them out. In other words, we're not praying, send out the workers, Lord, except me, of course. We're not praying like that. If we pray like this, then it does imply that we're willing to do it. We're willing to go as well. So I can tell you, as I look out now at this group of people, I can tell you that there is not a shortage of workers. Here we have a building full of potential harvest workers. And there are, of course, three meetings like this on a Sunday. The problem, then, is not a labour shortage. If there's a problem, is that we're not out there doing this, doing what we can in the harvest field. We have the workers, we just need to be cast out. So that's what we pray for in ourselves, and that's what we must be prepared to go and do. Now, I was saying earlier that one of the disadvantages of being a large church family is that we can be shielded somewhat from the the needs of the thousands of people who are are not here. And we can be deceived by the relatively healthy numbers here into thinking everything's okay. When in fact, of course, we just need to lift our eyes a tiny, tiny bit and see that it's not okay. But this is a situation now where being a large church is an advantage because we look out and we can be deeply encouraged that this is a very large harvest worker team. There is potentially, therefore, a great deal that we can do together in terms of harvest work. I think we got a little taste of this just before Christmas uh, through the carols and candlelight, by candlelight services. So you add out the figures for that, and we find that collectively we invited something like 2,000 people, over 2,000 people came to those five services. That was a a wonderful thing. Many, many people who don't normally come under the sound of the good news of the kingdom hearing it then that represents 
hard, some hard labor in the harvest field as those invitations went out. So I don't think we should, we should be encouraged by things like that. And I think that probably represents just the tip of the iceberg of what we could do. So if you do want to do more, then keep coming back over the next three weeks to hear Jesus teach about it specifically how to be a harvest worker, how to go out into that harvest facing rejection, yes, facing opposition, suffering, yes, and yet remaining utterly faithful to our Father in heaven. Come back and learn more about being a harvest worker. So I don't know precisely what situation you'll be going out into tomorrow morning. I don't know whether you might find yourself, as I was saying at the beginning, going into a work situation, utterly overwhelmed by the volume of work you're expected to do, uh, the number of people demanding your attention. I don't know if you'll be overwhelmed by the demands of your family. That, That also is quite possible. Overwhelmed by some other great task. Maybe just overwhelmed by the thought of getting up. Or getting down the streets uh, through the ice and the snow. I don't know any of that. But I do know, I do know, that whatever situation you face tomorrow, you should find yourself overwhelmed as Jesus was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with compassion. Because you can see people as Jesus sees them. Harassed and helpless troubled and lost overwhelmed too by the vast numbers of people needing to hear the the good news of the kingdom and I do also know that the Lord wants you to convert that feeling of being overwhelmed first and foremost into prayer then Jesus said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to confess first that we we struggle to feel the compassion we should feel. So we want to confess that and we pray for your, for your help as we look upon the, the Lord Jesus and his compassion and begin to see the world around us as he sees it, that you would bring about those feelings of compassion within us. And also help us, Lord, to see the vast harvest around us and therefore the huge needs, and that this would more and more lead us to turn to you in desperate prayer Pray for those workers going out into the harvest field to bring the good news of the kingdom. We pray that we might be more prayer, both more prayerful in this, but also, as we think ahead, more willing to go and do this and be involved in this ourselves. Open our hearts and our lives to this, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.